Awakens. Um, I'm Byron Wilder. Um, I am no name person. This is Gabriel, Gabriel Medina Blackman. Gabriel Medina Blackman. Um, this is our. This is Rise Road to the Rise of Skywalker episode episode eight. Though it's technically sorry, episode seven. Though it's technically episode nine. Yes, it's episode nine of the Road no to Skywalker. episode ten, counting Mandalorian. Well, I'm not counting that. All right, cool. Episode we're making other episode episodes. seven of nine. Yes. My favourite Star Trek Voyager character. I've never seen Voyager. You've got to watch Voyager. This, we've met, we've brought it up before on the podcast. You should watch it. It's real good. Um, I've only watched TNG and... Not classic? Voyager. I tried watching classic. I'd also tried watching classic. And I didn't get too far into it. Not because of any reasons. I just... Mm. It was before it was on Netflix and I was right. watching it with someone else. Yeah. So I stopped having access to the Blu-rays and stuff, and I didn't seek it out. Yeah, right. Um, we can both agree, though, that Discovery is the best Star Trek series. Soon to be usurped by Picard. I, I was watching Discovery, and I didn't mind it sometimes. And then, when I finished the season and the new season came out, I was like, I don't want to watch anymore. <laughs> so, that's, yeah. a, that's a bad sign. Yeah, it is. When I'm like, I don't want to do that anymore. I don't want to play a game anymore. It's like... There's a reason why. It's because yeah. I'm not enjoying it. You know the best part about Discovery? The cast. You know the worst thing about Discovery? Literally everything else. The cast of Discovery is, <laughs> the cast of Discovery is insane. Like Michelle Yeoh, Rosa Salazar. Hmm. Not to mention... Um, the guy, uh, the scientist. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's really good. Incredible cast. Um, you know what else has an incredible cast? What? Mostly of unknowns. What? The Force Awakens. Yeah. Where were you when you remember the um, the announcement of this movie? Particularly the title, because I, I do remember when the title got announced. I, I was, can't tell you. I was at home in Tassie, I remember, and I found out, I think, one morning when I wandered into my kitchen, I was just browsing news, and it, it got unveiled. What did you think when you first heard the title? Um, the title, the first time I heard the title, it, it was a bit try-hard. Yeah, yeah, totally. It was really try hard. I like really the Force like Awakens. It. It's like really, yeah. I'm like, oh, what this? What does this mean? Like yeah. new characters. Uh, we're going back to the original. Like in massive contrast clear. to when I heard the Last Jedi, and I was immediately like, ooh, this. Yeah, no, good. yes, yeah. Last Jedi is a great true. title. Fantastic yes. title. Um, but I, I do have, I do remember when I first saw. Disney bought Star Wars. Yes. Okay. Let's go back to that because this is the first one. This is the. This is the movie is, that started off. This is pre them doing any of the games. I mean, they did the they, they did the Connect spin-off games like that. You seen that, was that Disney? Well, the thing is, so Disney. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. It's Disney. I, th- I thought that was Lucasfilm still. No, it's Disney. Hmm. Because Disney buys Lucasfilm in. Did we say twenty twelve? Twenty twelve. 
Um, something we'll mention is that Mark Hamill, Carrie Fisher, and I believe Harrison, although might have been after Disney bought it, had both signed on to do a sequel trilogy with Lucas at Lucasfilm. And he was developing early ideas, and that those were the ideas he presented to Disney when it got bought, and said, I, I'm not saying you have to do these, it's not going to be a clause in my contract, but I think... Here, this what, is what I had. Yeah, this is what I had. Yeah. yeah, and a better writer than me. I think he was very upfront and saying a better writer than me, like JJ, could take this and turn it into something good. Which I wish he'd done that with the prequels. I know he wanted oh, someone to direct the prequels, that, yeah. but it would have been really interesting we've, to we've hear. mentioned this before. Of course, but even on the original Star Wars, right? Like his script went through so many changes in the edit it went through so many changes mm, edit, yeah. and it's very interesting to see how many reshoots and restarts and, and, and mistakes happened when filming A New Hope from like the original script that it, we yeah, mentioned yeah. many times but, that but, was like yeah, eight movies but my point is the prequels get done pretty much in the first five drafts and he's in charge of the editing directing and all of those aspects and that's why those films are 100% his vision and they aren't very good because, like it or not, there is no such thing as an entire genius of filmmaking. I really don't believe that. Even Tarantino, who is Except like... Except Kurosawa. Well, no. I, even with him, he worked with other writers. He probably yeah, had no, a team of editors. Okay. Even though he edited, he probably had a team of editors who worked with him. He would have had feedback from his peers, like yeah, she, yeah, yeah, like, um, like Toshiro Hondo and all those guys. Um, Tarantino has been very open about how early on in his career, he had a wonderful script doctor who was... Um, this Asian woman, I can't remember her name, but she's sort of credited mm. for making Pulp Fiction the script it was. Mm. Like, he's given her a huge amount of credit for, like, he would write in these big notebooks, these kind of rambos note, these kind of rambling, verbose notes of, like, ideas of this boxer and this, and this, this you know, this mysterious dame, the, like, femme fatale that Uma became. And she basically typed all that into sort of a treatment that he then fleshed out with his dialogue. Like... Every single writer, your PTAs, your Nolans, all those guys, they all have a team of people who help. They listen to their feedback and they take it on board and they make something better. And for whatever reason, I think Lucas didn't get himself surrounded with the same kind of people he had had when doing the prequels. Now, where that can go wrong is when a giant committee comes into play. Which is what we've seen in a lot of films recently. Exactly. I've heard that Force Awakens is sort of a product of this. And I could understand why, and I think you can see a little bit of that in the final film. Not a lot, but there's a few things... Oh, that... oh, there's a lot about it. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah. The, what do you know? Uh, I 100% know that uh, JJ came up with a script Yeah. that he presented to Kathleen Kennedy. I have heard that too. And it was nothing like The Force Awakens. Yep, I've heard this. Completely nothing. It was a completely original story with the original characters. Yes, it was focused heavily on the original and... characters. Catherine Kennedy, I think she showed it to the board of Disney or something like that. Yeah. And came back like sometime later and said, uh, we want to make something that is closer to the original. Yes. With new characters that we can establish for the audience. Yes. Which you can make a really good movie like that. I will, I'll, they they I'll made a good movie. Not a really good movie, but a good movie. So you heard you heard the same thing I did, which is that he presented this new film. Um, it was going to focus heavily on the original characters. And they said, we want to do sort of a rehash of the original energy of the first film. With new characters. Mm. And that's one of the reasons... That's one of the ways I defend this film. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I guess I defend... It's the biggest criticism of this film by far. So I guess it's 
the way I defend JJ because everyone says that JJ is not a very good writer, and they yeah. say that he pulls a lot of nostalgia from people. I actually you think can this see is, that in yeah. Super Eight. You can see that in yeah. uh, Star Trek. Absolutely, right. And that's completely true. As well as the things he's... And then you hear yeah. that he wanted to make his own story with Star Wars. And it's like, oh. I'm going to be... Yeah. I'm going to be totally honest and fair to this movie throughout this podcast. But I think this is one of JJ's best scripts. Hmm. I truly do. I actually think it's much better than the script for Mission Impossible 3. Which is probably my favourite JJ film. On I haven't the seen it in so long. I think it's his best, like, solid beginning to end film that he's made. Star Trek is really good. I- I'd say Star Trek is not the best script no absolutely but it's, not it's, it's a really it's a really well done movie oh yeah it's incredibly well done. I, i'll say it's more consistent than oh well i was gonna say it's more consistent than the force awakens because i do i disagree with that completely. i do have some things about the force awakens this one mm. segment that i'm not a big fan of but uh in star trek i was gonna say that but then i thought of the time travel the moment that spock comes in and it's like yeah. oh from that point on it's a bit weird it's not only that and then, and then it goes back to like the, the the energy from before and then it's like oh no the stupid bit... thing is that the plot of eric banner's character is to go back to save his homeworld, right and he's talking to um the captain played by bruce bruce mcgill um, and he's saying, no, Romulus is not destroyed. It's still alive. And he's like, I know it's destroyed. I saw it happen. Hmm. And he could easily go home at any point and save but his planet. He, he doesn't know what happened. But surely he's able to check what year it is. Like, he interrogates mm. that guy. He asks him what the star date is. And he tells him. In the very opening scene, they bring aboard the captain played by the um, the actor from uh, Iron Man. The, um, the guy who's like the leader of the Mujahideen in Iron Man. They bring that captain goes aboard... And Chris Hemsworth replaces him. And when he's on board the Romulan ship, he's like, tell me what the Stardate is. And he's like, Stardate? 2133-34. Where are you from? Like, they find out what year it is, and never once are they like, oh yeah, let's just go home. It is a huge problem but, with that movie. But what he's trying to do in the film... Yeah. He's trying to stop from Romulan being blown up. That's why he's going after Spock and all that. But that happens in their time, which is like 50, 60 years from now. I mean, so that's his motivation through the film. I'm I know. Sure. Uh, yeah, that, that's true. He is going for Spock, and he waits for Spock to come back through time. Don't yeah. forget. Yeah, it's 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 a weird movie. I, I it's, don't... it's it's a weird script, but beautifully it's very, executed. It's, it's a very fun movie. It's a very average script still, that I, is brilliantly executed. I still love the ending. The ending when um, the wormhole and all that. When uh, when they offer him to get on board. <laughs> they offer the captain to get on board and save them. I would rather like, die. I just. Rather, I would rather. I would die. rather see Romulan die oh, yeah. Yeah. a thousand times. Done. Getting on board of the same ship as Spock. You got it. And then and it's like, well, <laughs> yeah, sure. You got it. And then they fire. It's like ah, that's the most Star Trek thing to do is give the bad guy a chance to survive. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, the the best part of that movie is the opening with the uh, birth of, and also birth the opening of Kirk. Great. The opening, it's the music that Ma- Ma- Michael Giacchino I, does for that scene is incredible. It's, I think it's one of the best scores. Soundtracks. Oh, I mean, I remember in 2009 when my brother saw it and he just played that freaking soundtrack all the time. It was so good. It's. I, th- I feel like that's the best way to remake a classic song. Yeah. Because yeah, it, yeah. it has like the same tones from the original yes. series. But like in like... Modern times, which Giacchino is a genius at, and he does a bit of that in Rogue One, which I didn't talk mm. about. But yeah, he's 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 a genius of of music. Yeah. Um. So 
Yeah, we, we're hearing all these rumours about kind of what the movie's going to be circa... Two, well, this is how I remember it going. So, 2012, Disney buys Lucasfilm. Oh, the, well, I forgot to mention my yeah. point about um, George when I saw the... First of all, I saw that George bought it yeah, yeah. by seeing the picture of him signing off. Yes, exactly, with Bob Iger. And then I saw all the jokes about yes. Mickey. Mickey with the Vader helmet. The Vader helmet That's what that. I was going to talk about, yeah. And, uh, and, the, the and they star, just the, bought... The, they start with the three... Yeah. With the, with the, 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 yeah, which is still used to this day. Um, and I had just gone through. Of course, they had bought uh, Marvel, which has been very, had been very successful. Yeah. And you know, it's twenty twelve, so Avengers has come out. Where like I was, that I, was back when I didn't know much about Marvel. Right. What was your first Marvel movie that? Because I was Iron writing Man. Iron Man. Iron Man. I yeah, saw yeah, Iron Man yeah. in theaters. I didn't see any other film. Right. Okay. I saw every one of them for the first. I, I didn't care about the the universe at all. I think the first one I missed was Thor: The Dark World, which tells you how hmm. devoted I was up till then. I, I didn't see any Marvel until my uncle said, "You should see Avengers. It's really good. It's really funny." Oh, really? And I went to see it with my mother. Yeah, and loved it. My mother doesn't like action films, and she loved it because yeah, it was really my mum loved it too. Yeah. Uh, and I was like, "Oh, mom, there might be something to this, right?" I only knew yeah. Iron Man. So, like, the whole idea in Avengers... And the movie still works. The movie works if you haven't seen any of them in their own movies. Yeah, that's why it's so brilliant about it. It's like, even though I didn't know anything about all the individual characters, I was like, Mm. oh, this is a really fun movie. Yeah. And I feel like that doesn't work with Infinity War. Oh, at all. Even though, though, as I told you, um, my my ex and I went to see it on opening night, and she accidentally came along to a screening. Uh, So what happened was, you and I went to see it at, like, 6 in the evening, like, right after we finished uni. Yeah. Um, We went to see it. We had tickets in advance. Yeah, we we saw it at events, digital IMAX, opening night. We bought, like, first session we could tickets. Went and saw it, loved it, came out, you know, you've got the emotional rush of... And then who do I see coming in with her cousin? My ex, who was my girlfriend at the time. And I'm like, wait, I thought you didn't want to see this movie. And she's like, oh, no, but they wanted to go. And I'm like, oh, cool, well, I'll see it with you again. So I bought another (laughs) ticket, saw it in IMAX for a second time. It's the only time I've ever seen a movie twice within within five hours. hours. Like, I literally had, like, 20 minutes of downtime between seeing Infinity War and seeing Infinity War again. I did see Infinity War. It it was very enjoyable to watch the second time. Yeah, I have to say, say it held up really well with the pacing. I, I saw it a week later. Yeah. With another friend. Yeah. Kind of like with and us with knew, Endgame. Yeah, yeah, and I knew what was going to happen. Yeah. And like, seeing a whole audience not knowing what was going to happen. Oh, so satisfying. And like, react to it. And like, me knowing what was going to happen, it was so like... Oh, and when we did that for Endgame, it and was then Endgame Even well. though the audience wasn't as great as opening night. Nah. That opening night Endgame audience was incredible. Yeah. And we were so disruptive. <laughs> it was great. I think it's... I think then we need to stop talking about Marvel, though. Oh, probably. Oh, every podcast. Well, it's about franchises. What I need... I want to talk about... George. George. I saw the image of George signing. And you know what my reaction was? What? Like, I was like, eh. Yeah. Because I didn't, I didn't realise that we're going to start making movies again. What? I was like, really? I was like, oh, they bought Star Wars. And I'm like... Maybe I th- think about it and I'm like... I think we all whatever. thought that around three yeah, years like, later they'd make another movie. That's kind of what I thought of, but I was like... Whatever, I didn't really care that much, to be honest. Yeah, I, I had that feeling, which was... E- even back then, I was a massive fan of George Lucas. Um, and I had that feeling of... It's sad that we've gotten to the point where... A creator that is as powerful as this guy... Has had to sign away his IP. Like, that is oh. kind of... I really feel like he he did not want to make another film. No, absolutely not. He just not. didn't want to make films anymore. I mean, he did want to make another one, but I think he was both very afraid of what the feedback would be 
insecure about his abilities. He was really tired of the of the audiences. Yeah, I think that's definitely true. It would have been fascinating to live in another timeline where the prequels were well received and they were good films. He would not even like well received, but like average. They were like all right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If if the drop in quality was like from a ten to like a six or seven, yeah, which is kind of like. Yeah, if it was a Empire Strikes Back to Return of the Jedi drop in quality. Yeah, if it was like that, it was like oh, so it's, it goes from like really, really, really good, and then Disney movies still good, but then not the best. Yeah, he probably would have made the sequel trilogy. Exactly. Yeah, but yeah. there were a lot of problems in those films. Oh, the prequels. Yeah, we have three podcasts talking about yeah. them. Um, well, which podcast is talking about? <laughs> yeah. I lost my memory. Um, I'd already dealt with. The Marvel acquisition, which had, because Avengers is the first Disney film, had proven to be pretty fruitful. But I'd also dealt with them buying Studio Ghibli and sort of what that had entailed, which has led to good things and and bad things, Mm. mostly with the way that the films are distributed. But um, I really do remember feeling in the first couple of years after Disney bought Lucasfilm that it was a really, really unfortunate thing. Because the first things we started to see was with the launch of um, Xbox Connect all these tech demos of like, you know, you've got the lightsaber and you're being a Jedi. And none of these games ever materialised except Star Wars Connect Dance. Whatever that game no, is called. No, Star Wars Connect, which had... That's they right, They had a sorry. campaign that it was like two hours long. Yeah. It had a port racing segment. Yes. Was it port racing or was it And there's else? a part where you play as a Rancor, I remember. There was a Rancor segment. Yeah. I haven't played and then, the, and then there was the dance. The dance thing, which is the most infamous bit of Disney Star Wars property. I'd say at this point oh, for how funny. terrible it was and it has you know that cover of Jason Derulo's solo my, but it's oh it's called God. I'm Han Solo Palpatine dancing was amazing oh is there a Palpatine dance Palpatine dances yes do you know what the he, song he, is he, he, he starts to get really angry like oh you you guys and then he's like oh well he starts to boogie right he's like oh this is alright actually so what's the with them, and it's hilarious oh he does ghosts and stuff yep I'm gonna play this and I want to we can cut this out if we feel like we should, but I'm going to play this and listen to my well, reaction. Oh, Chewie dances too. No! And Darth Vader. Everyone dances. Jesus! Yeah, no, it's Holy it's fuck! It's, how did I not watch this whole thing? I mean, I probably had better shit to do in my life. Fucking <laughs> Dark Knight Rises was about to come out. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> the names. It's hilarious. Oh my god. Oh my god, the fucking names of all the moves. My, must Jesus. do everything myself. Oh my god. <laughs> do it. Do it. Do it. Do Jesus it. Christ. Do it. This is so embarrassing. It's terrible. Oh my god. Holy crap. I didn't know this was the first Disney thing. This is the first Disney Star Wars I guess Wars it's thing. the first EA Star Wars. It is, yeah. Sign of things to come. Yep. Yeah, anyway, um, so my, my whole point about that was that that was my first exposure to sort of how Disney was handling the Star Wars IP. And the other big thing, of course, that happens is 1313 is cancelled, which is this highly whoa, 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 ambitious... Whoa, whoa, whoa. More than 1313 is cancelled. Lucas... Star Wars Battlefront 3. No, Lucas Art is... Luke, Can... Yeah, you're right, Lucas, um, what is it? Which cancels 1313. They didn't cancel 1313 outright, they took down Lucas Art. LucasArts Games. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. What, what is LucasArts Games Studio? Lucas... It's LucasArts. It is LucasArts Games. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, they take down Lucas... 
Oh, you're right. Of course, Lucasfilm took, takes down yeah, Lucas yeah. Arts. Yeah, Disney acquires Lucasfilm, which means they've got Indiana Jones, all these other properties. Um, but yeah, yeah, they take down Lucas Arts, which is this incredibly prolific game studio that was around for almost a decade, and they produced, you know, no, whoa, 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 longer than that. Oh yeah, of course, because they go all the way back to doing um, Empire at War and, they, 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 and they were doing games like, Fighter. Um, they were doing a lot of the uh, arcade games. They did a lot of story-based games. You're right, like yeah. point and clicks. Yeah, yeah, which George Lucas like was Monkey really, Island. yeah, George Lucas really loved those kind of games. There, there, there's a game that in Monkey Island, there's a moment that you have to cross a bridge. Yeah, and you have to talk to this guy, and like he does this, that's not let you pass. Yeah, and you have to like give him a fish, and then he pulls out his. He's like Musk, and it's George Lucas. I mean, he's serious. Yeah. He oh, that's amazing. It's hilarious. I thought you liked salad. Oh, that's probably even for that. Yeah, yeah. Um, I just, I, I really do need to credit George Lucas because, along with Spielberg, who tried to venture into gaming but didn't really succeed, George Lucas was the first Hollywood director. I say Hollywood director, even though he never made a film in Hollywood. Um, George Lucas was the first director. With the fu- with the budget and the facilities that he had to truly acknowledge the power of gaming in the marketplace, and to truly invest in gaming as a legitimate art form, like he truly saw the potential for what gaming would become, and I think it's something that he doesn't get enough recognition for. I think Spielberg went into animation. Yeah, Spielberg. When he started doing. Well, of course, stuff. Spielberg's always been a massive an- animation nut, and that's part of why DreamWorks was founded was so that they could span off and do animation mm. as well as. Um, but yes, but, but 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 you can't deny that LucasArts, within the world of gaming, which you know in the two thousands has many companies that make a huge mark. LucasArts makes a pretty sizable impact on the world of video games. But they were in, on the later years. On the later years, they had a lot of duds. Yeah, I'm just trying and, to trying to chart like the game of... history. So obviously like, through the nineties. Like, honestly, I don't want to talk too much about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We can ma- quickly mention it. But, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. The whole thing with LucasArts is that the last couple of games they made were the Force Unleashed. Yeah. And the Force Unleashed Two, which is, which very bad. were not really well received. Mm. And I mentioned them already about the start of like the Force being extremely like people Force use is being extremely powerful. Yeah, like, yeah. They are like over the top. Completely, yeah, yeah, completely. Which made it not fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I'm trying to think other property. Well, the bigger... So, 1313 was this incredibly ambitious adventure game yeah. that got cancelled when LucasArts was dissolved. It was less than, I've heard, a month off being completed. There's early gameplay you can view but online that the, looks incredible. The thing with 1313 is that it was a really poorly managed game from the start. It was a game they announced many years yeah. in advance, and then they had a lot of problem with it. But I've heard part of that was Lucas's fault. Yeah, no, that. Yeah. For whatever reason, it, it, it was a development hell. Game. Yeah, yeah. Same as um, Star Wars Battlefront Three. Way, I heard it was someone, almost someone complete. Just release it then, even if it doesn't have an ending. No, because you get it's sued. You get sued. It's their IP now. Oh, they own put it. Put it on Pirate Bay. EA owns it now, so somewhere it's on a hard drive. Maybe it was Jedi Fallen Order. They just literally reskinned it. They reskinned it and just yeah. made an ending, a quick ending. Maybe. You know what always throws me off now when I watch that gameplay because I watched it again a few weeks ago for the podcast. Is that um, the guy who plays the main character um, is the guy who plays Bullseye on the Daredevil uh, Netflix show. Oh. Yeah, same actor. Who? It's a really good uh, motion capture performance. Like, the, they make him look identical to the actor. It's really, mm. um, in, it's really interesting. 
So I have a pretty weird feeling about Disney handling Star Wars. They, they also took down Clone Wars. Oh, you tell about this because I wasn't a fan of Clone Wars at this time. So do you want to tell about how that happened? I, I wasn't a huge fan. I just casually saw it. Right. What do you and mean then, by takedown? Uh, they were making season five or season six. I can't remember sure. which season yeah, it yeah, was. Yeah. They were making it, and then when Disney bought it, they said, oh, "We don't want Clone Wars anymore," and they stopped production of this season. That's crazy. And they had like. Six episodes completely made. Gosh. Always. And like the, the story kind of ended. Well, they kind of had a quick ending with uh, Sokka Katana, yeah. uh, kind of like leaving the Jedi uh, order. Yeah. But then there were like six episodes that were le- released after because they were already made. So you might as well release them. Yeah, exactly. And they were like really cool episodes. Yeah, Disney definitely burned a lot of bridges with the community pretty much straight oh, out oh the game. Oh my god. What? Legends. They extend the universe. They can't. All those books. Oh, yeah, this is the other thing. That's probably the biggest one because they had all these books that people loved and they're meant to be like, right, I haven't read any of them. I've never read a Star Wars But apparently it's like, they were really good and Disney was like, nope. I I understand why. I understand why too. Because with the books, they're meant to be canon, so you can't make, you can't continue a story. Yeah. Because they ha- will have to be like the books, because it's meant to be canon. But because it's like the books, everyone's going to know the story, so you don't get to surprise an audience. Yeah, so maybe they should have said... Anything after the Empire's fall is not canon anymore. You know what they should have said? All that stuff is great. Enjoy it. We're going to do something new and different. That's kind of what they did, but they gave it. They did it wrong. Sure, they did that, but they did it wrong. They did oh, all these things you like. It's not. It's not good anymore. They didn't say that. It's. It's. I. It's I, I, get, I get why you wouldn't. Um, yeah. Well, of course. Of course, it's not canon anymore because Disney wants to do their own thing. And then in 2014, of course, we hear the announcement of Star Wars The Force Awakens, directed by J.J. Abrams. And we see the trailer, which is a really good tease. The internet crashes. Dun. 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 Um, I I didn't love the tease, to be honest. I, I... I kind of bought into all the memes about Kylo's lightsaber, like, turning into a Swiss Army knife. Yeah, it was really funny. And, um, and the whole thing about... There were a whole bunch of like things that people love, love to joke about with um, that first reveal. Somebody stabilized the Falcon yeah, shot no, in Premiere Pro, and it looks really cool. I I, I also remember um, the joke was, "Oh, there's a black character in Star Wars." I, I heard that somewhere. Someone made that joke. What was the joke though? Just that. Oh, Jesus. And I'm like, oh, there's been many other characters. No, it was Black Stormtrooper. There's Black Stormtrooper. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that yeah. was kind of like, hey, whoa. Yeah. Right. Like, oh. Yeah, yeah. People said there was a lot of racist outbreak about this movie, and I don't know if any of that that's, was that's true. That's what I mean. It that was like, was, I think it was like three, four-year-old, three fourteen-year-olds on the internet, maybe some adult fans, and the media just ran with it in a similar way to how they ran with Rose Tico, um, sorry Kelly Mary Tran being bullied on Twitter. Like I think it was literally one of those things where they took a very small group of people and then turned it into a huge story, so it felt like a really big. Backlash. You know, Curry... Yeah. Kelly Marie Tran. Kelly, Kelly. You know, it, the, when she left today, it wasn't because of that. It was about something else. Okay, I didn't know that. It was uh, it It was confirmed by her that it was completely about other stuff. It, it okay. wasn't because of fans. But the media said that it was. So everyone thinks it yeah, is. I mean, like you do. As, as we know from the media in recent years, they're not entirely truthful with like how big or small something is. Hmm. 
I mean, we saw that this year with Joker. Like, that's the one thing I can't get over with Joker was all those headlines saying, oh, any day now there's going to be a shooting. Someone's <laughs> going to stab someone. This movie's dangerous. This movie, And you see the movie. The movie is, like, so not yeah, it's that. About, it's, no, not at all. The movie is not even remotely... It's like, haven't you seen King of Comedy? King of Comedy is for the worst. Forget King of Comedy. Clockwork Orange is a but movie. But that actually, that... that actually did great. Yeah, but... I'm even, trying to give an example that didn't create you know, anything. You know what? Anyone who watches Clockwork Orange and thinks that gang violence looks cool is a fucking idiot. Because the gang violence in Clockwork Orange... Yeah, but Orange, it, did, it did create gang violence. Yeah, but I think there was already that violence and they just latched onto the movie as like their anthem, which the movie sure. is not endorsing gang violence, obviously. Sure, but... A better, a better example is Fight Club. Like, Fight Club is a movie that, on the surface, seems like it would instill a lot of people to go out and, like, beat up in society. The movie's saying it's stupid. What? The movie's saying it's not a very good idea to do it. Yeah, the movie's saying that everyone in this movie is a fucking yes, idiot, fucking including idiot. you, for liking it. Yep. It's so good. Uh, we, hmm. If Fight Club 2 ever happens, we should. There is a Fight Club sequel book. Paul Newick wrote a sequel. Oh, Fight Club. I've never uh, read took it. Took to sleep. No, apparently it's good. I- I've never read it. Apparently, um, the Doctor Sleep book is good. So right, yeah. I- I've heard it's not very good from some people. But oh. anyway, um, Force Awakens. Um, where were you when you saw it first? Okay, so I was living in um, in Bocluse, which is a- an area in, in, in New South Wales. In New South Wales, and I remember they announced the date of the trailer. Yep, that same day was when the Jurassic World trailer came out. Oh my god, really? Yeah. So I actually remember I rewatched the Jurassic World trailer more than I saw the Force Awakens trailer. Well, you love Jurassic Park more than Star Wars. Yeah. And I was at a point in my life where I was very dismissive of blockbuster movies. Like I had. Oh, what changed? <laughs> Why are you like making a podcast about franchises? Well, now? you know what? Like, I, I, as I was telling you, I was talking to somebody earlier, and they were saying Star Wars isn't even good science fiction. I'm like, of course, Star Wars isn't it's good not. science fiction. Star Wars is not science fiction. Star Wars is literally a western, fantasy. a samurai film, a wizard film. It's it's, sci- it's Lord of the Rings in space. It's science fantasy. Yes, completely. It's it. I'd even go as far as to say it's fiction fantasy. I don't think there's any science in any of but them. But their the science is more the aesthetics. And That's true. That's true. It's it, Yeah. It's, because because it, it is set in space. It's and a stuff, space opera. Stuff like that. It's space opera. Yeah. Um, like Fifth Element is a more scientific movie than Star Wars. And Fifth Element is so silly. I love it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but it, it was 2014 and I was right into, you know, um, my Michelle Haneke's and my um, Xavier Dolan's and I was I was really fascinated with kind of European art house cinema. And I was just about to finish high school, yeah. um, which is year 12 here in, in Australia. And I was about to go to New York. Um, so I was like riding on the high of sort of having my liberty and my freedom and... Um, I saw this trailer and I thought, yeah, right, okay, it's just a new Star Wars. And then I remember seeing it in 2015. I was home, I believe, for the holidays. Seen what? Force Awakens. Oh, film. So we're going back. I'm trying to think of the first... I must have seen it in Village Hobart, which is where I also, more than um, almost 10 years before, saw um, Revenge of the Sith, which I've never thought about. But um, yeah, I saw Force Awakens opening day. I think I saw it at like 10 in the morning. <laughs> yeah, because I, I didn't want to go early, but I didn't want to, you know, stay up till midnight. So I went, I think, at 10 a.m. And I saw it on my own. Um, I actually saw it three times. And the second time I saw it was the best screening. And I'll tell you mm. about it. But the first time I saw it, um, I finished it. I got 
I, I kind of knew they were going to kill Han Solo because that was just kind of like always the thing you considered well, with his character. Uh, Harrison Ford was always he yeah, always wanted to yeah, kill Yeah, exactly. So Han's death, I saw a million miles coming off. The, the oh, spoilers! Oh my god, spoilers! Han Solo dies. Oh mate, this movie only <laughs> made two point three billion worldwide. I'm pretty sure anyone listening to this two, hasn't. Two, two point oh. Anyone who's listened to this far into the it's podcast and hasn't watched Force Awakens, um, yeah. I want to say that it pleasantly surprised me because it was such an effective film. And I think I really enjoyed the idea of seeing these characters go into future films. Second mm. time I saw it was wicked. So um, my dad, as part of his job, got like a Telstra screening, which was basically like a four tickets for you and your family to go and see a movie. And it was Star Wars because that was what was on. And what it was, was they took us to the biggest theater in Tassie, which was also at Village Hobart, but it was a much bigger cinema than I'd first seen it in. Mm-hmm. Um... Just about this screen we have in front of us, right? Yeah, yeah, about that big for Tasmanian screens. It's like a small monitor that you all crowd around with 400 other people. Um, we all sat down, and the cool thing was, the whole time you're there, it's like just a big Telstra ad. And then the lights go off, and guess what happens? Lucasfilm comes up. Huh. You don't get any ads, no trailers, oh, cool. no bullshit, just Lucasfilm. And then I saw it with a packed house, because at 10am there weren't that many people there. Saw it with a packed house, and dun, 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 it played, and the entire audience just cheered. It was great. It, I actually enjoyed the movie so much more oh, seeing it with great. the big audience. Third time I saw it was when I was in Melbourne a few weeks later, and uh, I took my sister to see it, because she hadn't seen it yet, in IMAX Melbourne. Oh, nice. Which I believe was 3D, actually. Mm, I think okay. it was the 3D. It, no, it would have been 2D. I, I was not big a fan of 3D. But yeah, yeah. we saw 2D IMAX, and it was, it was phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Seeing it on that screen, like as I always joke about IMAX... IMAX makes everything good about your movie that much better and everything bad about your movie that much smaller. <laughs> it has this weird effect where every single little flaw of the movie gets so much smaller when you're seeing it when you're seeing the good stuff that much bigger. It's it's great. I love IMAX. Um can't wait for the IMAX theater to be finished. When I actually when the last trailer came out, yeah. I was with um, my friend Aiden. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was his birthday. Huge Star Wars fan. He's a huge Star Wars fan. I don't think he's anymore after the last couple of films. We watched it together, it was his birthday, and then we went out to the pub because before we went out. And then we were talking to the bartender, mm. and he said, Whoa, how about that Star Wars trailer? We we're like, Yeah, yeah, we really, really liked that the last trailer, which yeah, is yeah. the trailer two, I think it is called. And, he, and we're like, Yeah, I really enjoyed it and all that. We can't wait to see the movie. And he said, Oh, I already have my tickets. And we're like, What? What? <laughs> Ticket, tickets came out already? So we, we went instantly to see if the tickets were out in. IMAX? Yeah. We couldn't get tickets at IMAX for... It was sold out? It was all sold out. Wow. So we had to see it on... Events. And that's like six hours after. Yeah, it would have been like that's something nuts. like that. That's nuts. So we, we saw it on... Uh, Hoyts? No, Events. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is also a really big screen. Yeah. And I remember... Events IMAX. Hmm? Events IMAX or just Events Yeah, v- yeah. VMAX and Events. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And... And yeah, and then I saw I saw the film twice. I saw that and then I saw it when I, with a Spanish friend like a week later. Yeah. And the first time I saw it, uh, people cheered in the Lucasfilm. Oh, yeah. But as soon as Star Wars came out, some people were like, shh. Everyone was like, oh, shh. Oh, man, you've seen, that, you've seen that amazing viral video from, like, the opening night where, like, somebody has their phone flashlight on and they can't turn it off. And someone just yells out right before the film starts. Like, everyone's like, turn the phone off. And then the best thing is the music goes down and the person turns the phone off and someone just yells like, Fucking Christ! And then Star Wars comes in and everyone bursts into laughter. It's so funny. I can see that. It's so funny. H- have you seen the um, the Simpsons joke about the opening? No. 
So the um, all, all the whole town is going to see the film. And yeah. Like they already made jokes about the prequels being bad. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so the whole town is there, and then the I I start something. The start happens because it's not Star Wars, it's something else. Mm. And then the opening is everything that happened last time. It was all fake. It didn't actually happen, and people start cheering. <laughs> Um, Rooster Teeth, who's a channel I, I used to adore, um, who did Red mm. vs. Blue and all these amazing shorts, they did the most elaborate prank video I've ever seen in my life, which is where um, they convinced one of their friends who did a self-tape. Um, basically, one of, their, one, of their, um, one of their workers is an actor, and they said to him, there's this competition. They, they basically made this fake competition where if you self-taped yourself saying your favourite Star Wars lines, you got to go to a private advanced screening of The Force Awakens, like the day before. So they got him, they, they basically set up a camera and he did like these impressions of like Jar Jar and the Emperor. And then they got him to go to this fake screening the day before. And then they just played his self-tape in front of like 500 people. <laughs> And it's really mean, but it was really funny. And he, he and they, they Did the guy like, like it. Yeah, he, he thought it was hilarious. He thought it, he thought it was a really good prank. Um, yeah, man, the, the the build up to this movie was like like nothing ever. I mean, this got the pre order ticket record until Endgame, I believe, or Infinity War then Endgame. Pretty it sure this held like no Infinity War beat it. Yeah, 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 hundred percent. But it held it, you know, for a couple of years. Like yeah. this. This film made more money domestically than almost any other movie had made in history at this point. I think it's still the top grossing. It is the top grossing domestically. Yeah, That's true. Yeah. Domestically. That's nice. Uh, worldwide, it didn't beat Titanic or Avatar. Or Avatar, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, this... But it was the third film to break two billion. It's the first non-James Cameron film. Yeah, the first non-James Cameron film. Yeah, That's amazing. Yeah. Bloody people um, with J in their names. Yeah. Anthony and Joe Russo. And Joe Russo. Oh my god, you've got you've got a G. You're right next to it. I'm I'm screwed. <laughs> Damn I'm it. I'm only gonna make 1.9 million. I'm gonna god change my it. name again to Jabiron. Jabiron Jalda. Jora Wilder. Jora Wild Jora Wilder. Um well, I think we need to start getting into the film. Probably, you know, it's 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 a it's a short one. It's two hours seventeen minutes. <laughs> I think we had only just started A New Hope when we were at this point in the podcast last time. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Probably, so the, the movie, um, it's great. Yeah, I, I really enjoy it. Uh, you do point out something yeah, which yeah, I yeah. kind of agree with. Which is what? After 40 minutes, yeah. it's not as interesting. I've said throughout the podcast that I think this has the best opening act of any Star Wars film ever, yeah. including A New Hope. And I kind and of, I kind all... of agree. Yeah. But then it kind of like goes back again. Like, I feel like it has a dip in the middle. Yeah, but so does Jedi and so does... Um, so does Jedi, so does... Not A New Hope. Nope. A, New Ho- a New Hope is or one Empire. of those... A New Hope is one of those movies that gets better every single scene. Not even every yeah. act. Like, every scene gets more energetic. It just keeps getting more and more and more. Yeah. That's, that's the, the whole thing with it's New so, Hope. It's so great. Um, What's... What's a movie that kind of like has a dip in the middle? Well, uh, Road Warrior, kind of. Um, I'm just thinking of movies we've no, talked about recently. Two Towers. <laughs> two Towers has a huge one, yeah. But yeah. Two Towers has a smart one. I like Two Towers a lot more than you do, and I think the way that they edit that film is actually quite it, it remarkable. It used to be my favourite of a lot of the I think films. the only reason you don't like it as much is because you've watched it right beside Fellowship and Return of the King. Oh, yeah. Which are two of the best films ever made. Yeah. So that's what I'm saying is the worst of the three. Yeah, but if you watch it in okay. isolation, it's great. 
it's the worst of the three. I'm not saying it's bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah I know. I'm nowhere near saying it's bad. I'm saying it's the worst of the three. But it's still amazing. Is that the only trilogy that's like a great trilogy where the second film is the worst? Because usually it's the opposite. Normally it's second like one. Like X- X-Men, oh, X2 oh is the God, best. X2 is... I really like X2. I think C3. All three of those <laughs> movies are really bad. I'm just going to say it. The X-Men? Yeah. First one. I think you don't like them. First one is really bad. First Third one is, one really is comfy. terrible. First one is really comfy. You know what? Third one is as good as one. I'm just going to say it. I haven't seen it. The third one? Yeah. Saw the third one two times in theatres when I was like 13. I um, didn't care enough. The second one is only good because of Brian Cox, Ian McKellen, and Patrick owning it. Because it's cool to have yes! two, it's cool to have two villains. But they were like I love movies great. that have two they were, villains they were, they were that like, are like against each other. And the dynamic between the characters are great and it, the action got a lot better. I yeah. Know. I really enjoyed X two having no emotional attachment to X Men. No, no. I don't absolutely give a not. fuck about X Men. You know the, the fact that Marvel has X Men now is like Oh, thank God. Whatever. Thank God. Seriously. I was so sick of X Men movies. And you know the worst part about the X Men movies? Literally the worst part that everyone thinks is the best part? What? Wolverine. Fucking Wolverine is the worst character. He is I like, like Logan. he is like the fourth member of the team. I like Logan. Oh man, I I don't love Logan. I like James Mangold. Like we just saw Ford, Ford v Ferrari last week, which is a really good yeah. film. But um, no, I really don't like Logan, and I really don't like the X Men movies, like at all. I had nostalgia for them as a kid, and I thought they were cool. But like, none of those movies are great. Nostalgia. The only uh, one that I think comes... I think there's some good ones. The only one that I think comes close to being great is First Class, which you don't love. Whoa, yeah. I didn't like First Class at all. Really like First Class. I don't like it. I like one bit on it. Which is which Nazi, is Nazi hunting. No, it's the coin bit. Oh, it's when he's in the bar with the beer. Uh, the coin bit is amazing. Let's just though. say I'm Frankenstein's monster. No, the coin bit is like... Me. The coin bit is great, yeah. And like the editing specifically. Yeah, yeah it's great. With camera, yeah, like with, the, with the match thing. cuts. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's great. <laughs> so good. Um... Force Awakens, man. Like, really good film. Yeah, it's a good film. Like, it, 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 it honestly is the perfect film for Disney to make first. I think... From a corporate perspective. From a Star Wars story perspective is where I think it has some trouble. I think um, some of my biggest complaints with this film... Yeah. Apart from the fact that it's just Danny Hope. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Are <laughs> yeah. uh, moments on it. Yeah, totally. There is no, like, big plot issues. There's, like, moments of... There's character moments that I'm like, that shouldn't be like that, and that's too, like... I think everyone agrees on that, yeah. I think there are actual plot issues. Like, I really like Finn. Yeah, yeah. He was my favourite part of the movie when I saw it first. He was the character I wanted most to see how he developed in the sequel. Me too. And that was one of the big things about Last Jedi I didn't like, which we'll get to. But those two moments with Finn that this time I didn't like at all, which is when he says, I'm with the Resistance. Yes, I am with the Resistance. And then he whispers, I am with the resistance. And yeah, like, when he's talking himself up. He said up. it once, I get it. But that's JJ's comedy. That's like part of the comedy. They can fly now? You fl- oh, they, they fly can fly now. now. They fly now. They fly now. They fly, fly now. now. Yeah, we've all seen that clip by now. It's, but, it, yeah. Um, another joke of that I think that works really well is when later in the film Poe's like, why are you doing this? With your chin. Why are you yeah, doing this? You're doing that. Like, like, I, I don't think... mind that one. But the one I don't like is yeah, yeah. the one with Fast Mouth. I'm in Charles now. Oh, I'm that, in that, now. Is, I'm that, in that is that is where the film actually feels like a robot chicken sketch. Yeah, that's a bit... Yeah, that feels like Gary from Robot Chicken. No one liked that bit when I saw it in the theatre. Like, everyone feel, felt like that was... Because, you know, you're on the Death Star. You're meant to... It's... Anyway, this movie does have a few weird comedy bits. I don't really care because the movie overall is really solid. I think there's some actual story things that 
don't quite work. So let's we'll get, get into to the. Mo- well, we're about to get into it. So let's get into the movie. The movie opens How about that with amazing opening shot. The best opening shot, except for A New Hope, hands yes. down. Yes, hands down. This shot blew me away when I saw it in theaters. Like I went into this film, and like the last film I think I'd seen before this film at home was like Where the Green Ants Dream, which is a Werner Herzog film about like Aborigines in the Australian outback who are trying to stop mining on their territory. Like it is the slowest, most lethargic film ever, and I loved it. I come in, I sit down, have my popcorn, giant screen, giant Lucasfilm, giant Star Wars, the crawl goes by, and then this fucking ship rolls up over the screen and I'm like oh Jesus Christ this is gonna be good so I remember when uh, when we first I first saw this film and, and the audience gasped I knew a lot of like, people, people were like gasped when they saw me, this shot me included a lot of people me included were thinking that they were just gonna remake like they were just gonna redo everything that A New Hope did and it kind of does a bit it kind of and does, then you yeah. see this shot and it's like something new damn that looks amazing it is truly one of the most genius bits of visual storytelling in this entire film Dan Mindell who shot this movie it's the, um, rice, it's the rice and manners that is slowly it, covering it, it's all literally the... the darkness consuming this planet yeah. it's genius mm. Dan Mindell who shot this movie is like a veteran of Tony Scott he came up working on Tony Scott's sets I think his first feature credit is um, State of Play which sorry Enemy of the State with Will Smith mm. and he has shot all of Tony Scott's films until Tony Scott died he came on with J.J. to do Star Trek that was their first or, or maybe Mission I'm pretty sure Star Trek is the first time they collaborate Dan Mindell is like a legendary DP he's he's truly I think he's actually a big reason of why J.J. loves lens flares because <laughs> I was going to say yeah Tony Scott is like infamous for his use of lens flares and especially for using fast camera whip pans all this stuff I, Dan Mindell's energy is just so pervasive through this film and mm. I think he gives J.J. a lot of that energy because yeah. when you watch Lost, which isn't shot by Dan Mindell, obviously, the, the, the pilot of Lost doesn't feel like a J.J. Abrams movie. It feels like, if anything, kind of like a Spielberg set piece. Yeah. Yeah. That pilot, it's amazing. It's, I mean, it's, everyone's it's talked amazing. about the Lost pilot. Yeah it, yeah, it made everyone watch the rest of that fucking terrible show. The first season is fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah, good. Yeah. first season is good. Yeah. The second season is good. The third season has problems. A lot of problems. Fourth, fourth season. season fourth season is when the writers strike up and they had no script they're like oh well, they you, know, you know the weird rumor i've heard about that though what is that um damien lindelof apparently like ghost wrote throughout that entire period like for tomorrowland and yeah, for lost sure, yeah. yeah so yeah and and i think that's a big part of why it took him so long to get another project like watchman off the ground or the 100 was because he's actually kind of he's kind of pseudo blacklisted in the writing community in the u.s I'll have to double check this, but just yeah. because he wanted to keep working on his show. Yeah, but it was a writer's strike. Like, you're I'm just sorry, not, but yeah. if I'm working on on something and and you come to me, you're like, yeah, you can't work on that anymore. We we have a strike, and I'm like, but 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 it's it's going really well. <laughs> I, I I know a lot of uh, a lot of writers who were very in support of that strike, and I, I think it was actually for the better of Hollywood that strike. Honestly, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, it affected a lot of things, though. It affected you know Transformers, the Wolverine, uh, not Wolverine, X Men Origins, Wolverine. It affected a huge amount of projects. Um, Force Awakens. This uh, the, so the setup for this film is very similar to A New Hope, where it's the Empire, which is now the First Order, comes down to a planet to recover. An item. In the original one, it's the Death Star plans. In this one, it's the map to Luke Skywalker. Mm. And we have Max von Sydow, the legendary Swedish actor, deliver a line that is so meta, which is the first line the of this film. The very first line. The of very film. first line in Disney's very first Star Wars film. 
right after the prequels, the first film we've seen since Revenge of the Sith, this will begin to make things right. Instead of being played by JJ. Someone should deepfake JJ delivering that line to because, the because, fans. Then, because then Paul says, this is the start of something new. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is like, oh. You know what uh, the opening line of Rise of Skywalker is going to be? Forget what you knew before. <laughs> you know, <laughs> we need to keep the past alive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The so, past. If we don't, if we ignore the know, past, do you know why C-3PO and R2D2 can't die on Rise? Why? Because they have to have the last line. Oh, that's they, ha- they have the first line of the franchise. They have to have the last. Maybe it line. ends with them on Tatooine. Three oh. PO goes back to the last family. He's like, "Oh, oh you're burned. Burns. You're all oh, dead." You no, no, they're all dead. Yeah. And the camera goes like, to his knees. Like the camera swims out. Oh, he's like swimming towards the sky. No. He, he does a Vader no. And then R2 like jetpacks away. R2 jetpacks and like fucking murders no, a, you, a bunch of people. R2 makes a... in the jackpot makes a the end. <laughs> he makes Finn. Just writes F-I-N in the, in, the, in the air. Not Finn, the character from Force Awakens. The French word for end. You know, it's also the Spanish word for end. Yeah, but you know the French did it yeah, first. <laughs> what? It's, it's in in art house films they use Finn because of French films. Yeah, it's just a joke. It's like what you yeah. put as a, as a joke at the end. Yeah, of then film. I put it on my if I put it in my film it's because I'm Spanish, not because I'm a fucking joker. No, it's because you love Finn from The Force Awakens. Yeah, FM two one eight seven. Yeah, our joke when watching the film was um every time when uh when Poe first says to him, "That's your name." Well, I ain't using it. FN2187, hey, Finn, I'm going to call you Finn. And he's like, I like that. Imagine if he was like, no, my name's FN2187. Uh, no, call I, me by my name, please. Yeah. And everyone keeps saying, If I want Finn, to be hey, called Finn. Hey, Finn is like, Ugh. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah the whole angry, time. Angry, angry. <laughs> my name is <laughs> FN2187. <laughs> I just thought of that scene in iRobot when Sonny smashes the table. I did not murder him. And just Finn, like, smashes a table. He's so good. Finn, mad. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so the movie opens with Max von Sydow giving the plan to uh, Oscar Isaac. This film stars three Juilliard alumni. Mm-hmm. Adam Driver, um, Oscar Isaac, and Lupita Nyong'o. In fact, I think Oscar Isaac and Lupita Nyong'o were in the same year at Juilliard. Uh, no, no, he was in the same year as Jessica Chastain. Who? Oh, okay. So, I, I just want to say something. Oscar Isaac at this point is an incredibly well-known actor for playing kind of rough, tough, kind of imperceptible men. Like, the year before this, he does J.C. Shandor's The Most Violent Year, which is an incredible performance. It, it's like a modern godfather. If you haven't seen it, mate, it is so good. It's the guy who made Margin Call, All Is Lost, and he recently made no, um, Triple a, Frontier. You know that's based on a comic book? A Most Violent Year. I did not know that. I think that. so. I think that's the one that's based on a comic book. Interesting. I didn't know that. Um, a really good film. Um, before that, of course, he's known for Drive, where he plays the criminal husband. Um, he is in... Ex Machina. Same of course, he's in X Machina. Yeah, like with Domal Gleeson. Yeah, with Domal Gleeson. Yeah, and he's um, like bye guy. Yeah, he's terrifying in that film. Yeah, you know, um, I, I really don't like that film as much as everyone else does. I like it. I think it's so stupid that he's working on this hyper advanced technology on his own. I just can't get past that. Like, this is the most complex what? thing anyone has ever built, and he's building it in like his garage. It's kind of silly. You know who he's modeled on, of course. <laughs> Have you ever realized who he's modeled on? Who? Stanley Kubrick. Does that make sense, though? When you think about it? I honestly don't want to think about that. He does look a lot like Kubrick, I, except for the I top I kind of don't want to think about that. That sounds, like, unnecessary. Mate, here's the best dancing scene of recent cinema history. Yep. Is it to... Sh- I, think it's to I think it's to Shix, I Want Your Love. 
No, that's in shame. No, it's to get down tonight by. Um, we need to do a top ten dance, dance scenes from well, the last ten years or like this decade. Well, number mm-hmm. one is uh, Magic Mike Two. Um, I haven't I seen want, my I want films. You haven't seen the first? I haven't seen any. The first is great. The second one's not very good. Mm. I saw the second one. Did I tell you this story? I was seeing a girl who was. Uh, you well, told this, me. Yeah. This with the Jared Leto. No, no, no. What about the night I went to see it? Yeah, yeah. You told me. I went in. I was the only man in a cinema full of one hundred and fifty incredibly by the end of it horny <laughs> and it was like you smell it right oh Jesus no that's gross um it was it was unbelievable like there's a scene where if, if you haven't seen it there's a scene where Joe Manganiello they all kind of dare him to go and um, make this girl smile because he he doesn't feel confident as a dancer anymore and um by the way Joe Manganiello is Sofia Vergara's husband like and he is the biggest man who has ever lived. Yeah. They dare him to go make her smile because he's feeling super underconfident. And he goes in and on the radio, You Are My Fire by um, Insync, Or is it Backstreet Boys? I don't know. This. Believe it's don't NSYNC. Ask me. Believe it's NSYNC. How um, am I supposed to know that? You Are My Fire My One Desire starts playing and he just starts like dancing with like a bottle of water. He pulls out of the fridge and like pours it over himself and he like smashes a chip pack and he's doing this dance. And he, he's good, but he's not like amazing. And then at the end he gets to the counter and she's been so stone-faced and then he's like, how much for the water and Doritos? And she just like cracks a smile and they all start celebrating outside and the audience just exploded. It was so good. Um, um, if we do dancing sequences, I'm going to put Joker on it. Oh, Jesus Christ. I know you don't like the film, but that's a pretty cool... I really don't like the dancing scene. I really like it. Um, Jesus Christ. Uh, Magic Mike. We should do that franchise when they make a third one. Magic Mike Triple XL. Nope. The First Order arrives. It's a spectacular, brutal... Lens flares used with intention. Yeah, yeah. They they literally are dominating the screen. Yeah. It's it's not like in Star Trek 09 where the lens flares are in the breach... I don't think they're ever, they're ever that bad in this movie. Even when you see the no, beam of bad. Starkiller Base, it's not that crazy. You, you can notice like, that in I this showed scene, you that scene and... from Star Trek Into Darkness, right? With the boardroom. Where literally the entire screen just turns into a lens flare. <laughs> like, you can't see anything. <laughs> you, li- you literally can't see anything. It's ridiculous. Yeah, but in, in this sequence, it's, it's used, like, smartly. Oh, another thing it's worth pointing out is that, like all of JJ's films, actually, um, this film is shot on film, and it's the first mm-hmm. Star Wars film shot on film since um, *Phantom Menace*. So I think that's pretty neat. Um, that's neat. They make two, made two, two non two shot on video or whatever it's called. Well, no, Rogue One shot on video. And well, no, 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 up up to Force Awakens. Yeah, that's correct. That's correct. And then *Last Jedi* is like almost fifty-fifty for film and digital. Really? Yeah. All, Why? All the Arc Two stuff is shot on film. The I other, think other, other, other. the Arc 2 the island stuff is shot on film no. the island you know the called, name of the island the I, no but it's a joke because the island's called Arc 2 like Act 2 that's like the whole joke about it it's like an in joke oh right because it's not yeah I think that's JJ to be fair no I, think it's, I, don't, I don't think JJ named the island I'm pretty sure it's named in the script okay I read the script a while ago and I'm pretty sure it is oh named. I do have to say something about that then oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah. um Next episode. <laughs> um, yeah, the stormtroopers um, arrive and they just. Oh, they're too... they, there's oh, so many up. of them. I just can want to I, point out. There's... Can I mention the statement? The statement that JJ makes at the very start of tell the us, film? please. It's not just the the, the shot that's go over the moon. It's yeah. also the ship. Do you see the ships going towards the screen? Yeah. And then you cut to the, the stormtroopers yeah. in the inside. Lights like are flickering. Ten of them, or like fifty of them, or whatever. All different heights. Yep. And like all physical. Yeah. Because one of the biggest complaints on the prequels is CG that stormtroopers, yeah. 
they didn't make a single costume. It's nuts. A it's single nuts. Uh, uniform. That's unbelievable. And yeah. it's nuts. And the first thing we see and you that can is tell real in this film is Stormtroopers. Stormtroopers. You're very right. That's a really good point. I didn't even think of that. But a lot of people complain about like the, the, the logic real. of you know the way that they're coming down. I love it. It feels like the D-Day landing. Yeah. It's so good. Yeah. Um, I've heard the nitpick of, oh, why is the light turning on and off? And it's like, well, they have bad electricians. It's, it's like, <laughs> who gives a fuck? <laughs> imagine if, like, in the Star Destroyer, the lights were always flickering. Like, imagine if they were literally the budget empire. Like, they have a Death that Star. That would have been a fun They have idea. a Death Star, but it's, like, really tiny. It's, like... <laughs> it's really tiny, and it takes, like, a month. It's, like, a giant... <laughs> it takes a month to charge. It's, it's like, like a giant beach ball. It's not even, like... <laughs> it's, like, the size... Is, there, is this one of those droids that goes towards Leia? Yeah, it's just a ball droid. It's a ball droid. And it doesn't even destroy a planet. It just, like... Shoots a bunch of little lasers that kill like individual people, but really slow. Oh no, no, he just shoots a laser, but it has to be like constantly on the planet for like a whole <laughs> month. It's like, <laughs> it's like the beam in Star Trek. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like and they're like, in twenty years we will hit the planet core. <laughs> it's like Hux make a communication into Coruscant. It's like you have twenty years to look up uh, reply. And like, oh, oh well. Oh my god, imagine if they use. <laughs> Someone just puts like. Uh, it's a box in front of it. Yeah. He's like, oh, well, that's another year. What's more effective, that or Mega Maid? Mega Maid. Oh, Mega Maid is more effective. It's quicker. Mega Maid! She's gone from suck to blow. Suck. 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 Should we do a bonus episode of Spaceballs? Yes. Oh, yeah. We should. We should. Yeah. Oh, we've got <laughs> yes. to do that. Oh, oh man. We're promising this. Okay. Poe gets captured, obviously. But, but what happens before is that Poe is in the ship. The ship gets damaged. Poe takes his the sniper rifle. The blue X-Wing. Do you Which, want to tell this fact? Yeah. X-Wings in A New Hope were meant to be blue. Were meant to be blue. Why didn't they? Um, because George felt like changing it in the last second. No. He, felt he ran it's out of money. He ran out of money. He, he couldn't buy any more he blue He painted paint. it with crew members' blood. <laughs> yeah, he was like, oh, we have all this red around. And he just used red. No, it's because uh, the blue screen... Blue screen, yeah. It's effect, obvious. The blue screen they were using... Would interfere with the ships. Yeah, the exact and same they, reason that it became a green light why didn't they, of a blue light Why didn't they use green green screen? Or was green screen not used back then? I don't know why green screen became... I, I think it was to do... From memory, I've read this before, and I think it was to do with the kind of lighting you had at the time. Yeah, makes like sense. Like, you couldn't count it... You couldn't light green in a way that would... Because um, they used to use red screen, of course. Mm. That's the thing that yeah. most people don't know is that like we've actually gone through every um, RGB configuration, and the reason green is good now is because with um, with uh, continuous lighting, you're able to flatten the image to a degree where you get an almost perfect separation if you light it correctly, except on stuff like hair and fine detail. Yeah. And now we're at the point where LED panels are coming in, and Mandalorian apparently has used that technology quite heavily. I was going to ask you, are we, we going to do a Mandalorian episode? We'll do the finale, I think, at this point. Oh. I think well maybe we'll we'll think we'll think about it. But um yeah yeah that that I think um, is the reason why it's was, blue for so long. I was gonna say to you with Mandalorian yeah some of the shots have they made it with CG yes because there there were so many moments I'm like I can't even tell anymore yeah, yeah. and I'm, I have a really keen eye for CG Deborah Chow huge skin like I we yeah. saw the Irishman we didn't do an episode yeah on yeah, yeah yeah but the the effect that they had on oh, the Oh, you faces, can always tell. I could always tell. But um, my I'd mother, argue, my mother yeah. and her partner, they, yeah. 
Didn't notice at all. I actually think the CG in The Irishman is pretty remarkable. And I think part of the reason we can tell is, hey, we are both incredibly yes aware like you and I have read everything about how they did the CG for the Irishman like I know I know the VFX artist's name the VFX supervisor's name like I know everybody who worked on it right in terms of the 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 technical process of it I think watching the Irishman the jump from Benjamin Button to the Irishman is unbelievable I think even the jump from Tarkin which is basically using a pretty similar tech no actually no he's a full digital face what they're doing in the Irishman is essentially the same thing. It's sort of a deep fake, but it's also they're essentially taking photo photos and scans from yeah, sort of like a deep fake, but it's also puppeted onto the face of the actor and it is their face. It's not like they're replacing your shape of face onto mine. They're just making Robert De Niro look closer to Robert De Niro from 20 years ago and I yeah. think they pull it off in a huge amount of the film. And only they that must like me that notices things like that we'll complain about it I know I was watching it on Netflix because we saw it in the theatres and I was watching it on Netflix a bit Probably the other Netflix day Netflix is not as noticeable it's definitely not as noticeable in, I think. in the cinema as soon as we got except to the for first... the scene of young De Niro in the war that's the one that's so because that's a full CG replacement in the cinema the very first time we got to that moment I was like oh yeah 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 oh and, I, and I'll tell you this I think I might have lost 50% of the dialogue because I kept getting distracted from it that's fair Love that uh, film though. If you haven't I watched lo- it, if you, I loved it. Yeah. Look, if you haven't watched it on Netflix, don't be intimidated by the runtime. You can stop and start it whenever. It is truly one of the most entertaining films I've seen all year. It's it's a phenomenal achievement. Martin Scorsese, somehow at seventy seven years old, is one of the most interesting directors working today. Like he, I, I I just feel blessed with the fact that we got to see a new Martin Scorsese film and a new Tarantino film, and we've got a new Paul Thomas Anderson film on the horizon yeah. in two years' time, apparently. Or the yeah. next year, maybe. Yeah, it's like life's good, man. Like twenty nineteen, amazing year for movies. Yep. We should do an end of twenty nineteen episode. Going into the twenty twenties, we should talk about this decade. That, that's what, what a I decade! Was uh, that's what I was saying. When oh, what a episode, decade! When it's an episode that is just about the best answers. This is the decade <laughs> where everything <laughs> fell apart because the beginning of two thousand nine, Avatar comes out, which oh, yeah, destroys traditional filmmaking it's forever. The start of the end. Uh, literally, look at what film was shot on digital pre-Avatar then after Avatar every single film was shot digitally it's truly yeah. remarkable the influence yeah. people really you can, you can say from uh, Iron yeah. Man to Avengers exactly I still think Avengers looks really good but Iron Man looks incredible compared to Avengers but uh, and, and then they made Infinity War look more like Iron Man yeah kind of I like still think Iron Man event. looks a lot better than almost every other Marvel film um, anyway, so Poe gets his sniper rifle. He gives BB-8 the map. BB-8 rolls off. Um, I mean, you've all seen the movie, but this is a really important moment I want to touch on, and we'll, ju- we'll jump around much quicker now. But they- he gets into a sniper position, and he starts shooting the troopers who are murdering the villagers. And he kills one trooper, a second, and then the third trooper he kills, another trooper sees him fall, goes to him. I mean, you know what happens. Um... And the blood gets wiped on his face, and that is Finn. That's yeah. how he's identified. Yeah, I never noticed this until you pointed out that it's Finn's friend. The, the Poe yeah, kills. Poe is the one that kills. Not him. one of the villagers. It's Poe who does it. And you think about that, right? And what could have happened with that? Yeah, like that could have been one of the most effective of for the darkest episode of the trilogy by far. By if far. If you put that in the second film, and Finn kind of like does something that starts breaking the resistance. Yeah. Well, you have a... just the idea of the fact that Finn, like when he gets out of his coma in Last Jedi, would say like, 
oh, I just don't know if I'm meant to be here, you know. I only got into this because my best friend was shot in front of me by a and sniper. Then, yeah. And, and then, then Poe is listening to this and Poe's like, oh, wow. Yeah. And then Poe doesn't say anything until the end of the film. Yeah. And it either makes or breaks them. Was it, but that's right, the was it right movies? <laughs> Eventually. I mean, I'm writing one right now. but Yeah, uh, but we should make them. <laughs> yeah, we should make them. Of, of course. Well, I, I don't have 245 million, but if you do, uh, then... Uh, if we put our money together, we might get there. If we put your piggy bank in my piggy bank, we'll, yes. uh, yeah, we'll save up enough in our, in our ink fund. <laughs> yes. To uh, print all the posters we uh, want. 3,000 years, we'll have enough money. 3,000 years. Um, 30,000 years. Um... I think this sets up one of the most interesting aspects of this film that what, gets what? completely dropped. The idea yeah. of humanizing the stormtroopers. For me, that was the promise of the original trailer. When Finn gets up, you see that it's a stormtrooper, but his helmet's off. What's going on here? Is he in disguise like Luke and Han? Like, and then you see this I, movie, I that. and that to me is by far the most effective scene of this movie. Is the scene where Finn has his friend die in front of him, he experiences the shell shock of what's happening around him. And then uh, Poe gets captured. Um, Kylo takes him on board. And as he's being taken on board, they order them to kill the villagers. And Captain Phasma orders the troopers to fire on the villagers and Finn refuses. And then there's this great moment that you pointed out where he and Kylo lock eyes. And it's a moment I love where they get to acknowledge each other before the finale. The, the thing is that uh, towards the end... Yeah. Not towards the end. What I'm talking about. Towards a bit later in the first act, yeah, uh, someone says about a trooper that it's that has been like uh, Phasma says, "Oh, this trooper has uh, has deflected on whatever," and Kylo immediately says, "FN two one eight seven. No, it's it's more subtle than that, even. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. it's like he knows his name by number and code number. I think it's because he can read his mind. I think that's literally almost what it is. Yeah, but like he remembered that moment. But, but Phasma too. Like when they get back on the ship, when Poe removes his helmet, she just, from looking at him from behind, says FN2187, which shows you how much they know their own soldiers. Yes. And I think that was something that could have been really capitalised on. Mm -hmm. And then what happens would've, is would've. they're back on the enemy ship. Poe uh, po obviously takes his helmet off, puts it back on. That's when we get the intro of Ray, but we'll get to that in a minute. Poe frees, uh, Finn frees Poe, and um, this, oh, I, 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 I the love joke. That, I love that Kylo completely uh, takes the information from Poe instantly. Oh yeah, it's easy. It's he great. easily mind melts him. It's yeah, so good. Um, and then they escape together with um, Finn pretending to be, you know, escorting him as a hostage. Yeah, we have the great joke of um, what, what, why you, what, why did you free me? Because it's the right thing to do. You need a pilot. I need a pilot. <laughs> It's good. It's uh, really good. It's hilarious. It's good joke. And we have a really exciting sequence, I reckon. Yeah. With the Tie Fighter escaping. Yeah, which really is the like first huge story problem I have with this movie. Yeah. Which is that the only thing we know about Finn at this point, the only oh, yeah. thing that's characterized him, is that he is terrified of the implications of violence. Because it's his first battle, he gets shell shocked, he can't believe what these people are doing. And, okay, I'm going to play devil's advocate for a second, because, of course, what happens is... Uh, I'll play devil's advocate if you want. Yeah, sure. Um, Poe tries to pull the TIE fighter out, and it gets stuck on a tether. And then some of the stormtroopers start firing at them, because they realise it's an unauthorised takeoff. Finn immediately... There isn't a moment, there isn't a look, there isn't, like... A, there isn't a, a moment of, like, him, why, why are you not fighting? Yeah, no, well, yeah, just... Finn, you need to shoot! You need to shoot, Finn! And, and then, then closes and his, his eyes and, and starts finger, shooting. finger on the tree. Yeah, exactly. Um, Finn immediately fires at 
the stormtroopers and starts killing yeah, them. And, and he kills I, a huge amount of them. I never saw that on, until you pointed out. I'm like, it was yeah. a huge thing I noticed the very first time I saw the movie. And thought, wow, this is a weird shift from what you just showed us. Well, now, the only way, the easiest way to fix it is just to have the TIE fighter escape. And then it gets chased. And then, then you have the scene where, you know how they're being shot at by the cannons and like he isn't firing because he's, he's arguing with him about Luke Skywalker and all that stuff? You just have other TIE fighters chase him and pose like, you've got to shoot them. And Finn's like, I can't, I can't, I can't. And that becomes his arc, is that he needs to learn that sometimes... <laughs> yeah, exactly. And that's what Han teaches him. No, my, my, my argument is that uh, as soon as they get into the TIE fighter, yeah. the guy starts shooting at them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's a bit like... Jolts him into hey, it. If I don't suit them, they're going to kill me. Well, my argument would be... There's that... no moment, but you're completely right. Yeah, completely but, right. But, but my other point would be, what it could be is that on the planet, he sees them murdering you know, innocent women and children... So now he realizes these guys are evil. Like the Empire as a force is evil, that's and that's why I, I that's why I kill them. I just wish there was an acknowledgement of the fact that po- that Finn has a deep, like feeling of of understanding death and grief. Like it's the first time we've seen a character really grieve in a Star Wars film. If you think about it. No, look, Griven. With for who? Kevin freaking uh, Owen ben and Kenobi. Ben Kenobi. That's tr- sorry. You're right. Of course, you're right. Yeah, he does yeah. grieve him on the ship. Anakin grieves fucking his but mother. But even saying that, you know what? Even saying that, yeah, yeah. Anakin, oh, Anakin, uh, Anakin. Jordan Anakin grieves over the fucking everyone dying. The Jedi drops his staff. Yeah. He drops his staff and he's like, <gasps> he does cry. You're wrong. Actually. You're wrong about that moment. Um, no, no, no. But but when he takes his helmet off. This looks like a guy who is having a psychotic breakdown. Yeah, no, he's having an anxiety he, attack. Can we just say, uh, we've talked about Oscar and we'll talk about Daisy, but uh, John Boyega, who mm. before this I had only seen him in Attack the Block, which Attack is, the block. Uh, have you seen Attack the Block? Really good film. Re- I, I still haven't seen The Kid Who Would Be King, which is Joe Wright's latest movie, but really good film. John Boyega, really good in it. Mm. Um, he plays such a different character to Finn. Like, he plays like a, a real kind of asshole. But the, the thing with um, John Boyega is... Have you, like, he, he's, see- the, he's the protagonist, but he's kind of a prick who, like, does yeah. the right thing. If you see John Boyega in interviews... Yeah. It's completely different to what he is in Totally the different. Like, uh, they seriously... She's, like... Kind of, like, always smiling and stuff like that in interviews. Yeah, she's like, very chill. She's, she's very... Really, she's really chill. Lovely person. But she does... Her voice sounds a lot like her voice in the film. That's something we've got to talk John about. John Boyega's... British. Voice... Is completely different. He's from South London. He's like got an accent like Idris Elba. I, I need to say this because imagine that you're fir- like like Attack the Block's pretty big. Imagine that you are acting in Star Wars and the majority of your scenes are with Harrison Ford, <laughs> and your job is to be the lead compared to that guy. Yeah. Can you imagine? Like he's what nineteen twenty when he does this? Whoa, John Boyega. Yeah. No, he's like twenty five. Or 30 even. Like, he was pretty old. I swear he's only, like, 18, 19 when he does this. No. Because he, he's, like, 16 in Attack the Block. No. Well, it, it doesn't matter. My point is, it doesn't matter what age you are. I, I, I've been an actor. I would never feel up to acting opposite Harrison Ford in freaking Star Wars. Like, that's in, an insane challenge. And I think he nails it. I actually think he might be my favourite performance of the film. I, th- I think he's my favourite um, guy uh, outside the... In, during interviews and stuff like that before the Force Awakens came out uh, John Boyega he posted on his Twitter he posted uh, a picture of himself cleaning the dishes yeah and he said my dad is making me do the dishes because I won't say what's 
what's going to happen in The Force Awakens. I did see that. That was so, <laughs> so sweet. Fun. And I loved so his reaction when the trailer came out, where it was him and his mates, like, on the couch. And then that shot of him fighting Kylo, and, like, they all freaked out. And I just love... I, I love him. Uh, I think I think he's actually going to be an incredibly wonderful actor. Um, I wish that there was another franchise that he had sort of lined up ready for the end of this. Because that would be kind of the thing that I, I think him. he should start doing more Small dramas. He did a film for Netflix where he plays like no, the not son. Netflix. Well, well, no, I'm just saying what he's done. So he just yeah. did a film last year um, about a father of a of a young son. Um, I can't remember what it's called, but um, yeah, he's trying to do new stuff. I mean, of course, he did Pacific Rim Uprising, which he's completely. Well, that, was, that was this other franchise that he tried to get into. He's completely wasted in that film. He's fine in it. I think. Oh, he's fine in playing it. Idris Elba's son. He actually does a good job. He does um, a good. He tries to imitate. Idris Elba's voice. What do you mean? He just uses his normal voice. And it sounds... No, he he like tries to. He does deepen himself, and a he bit, sounds yeah. fine. He's awesome. Um, that film has other problems. Pacific Rim Uprising. Yeah. Yeah, not a good film. It's dumb. I think everyone on Earth agrees. Stupid. You know who shot that film? Who? Dan Mandel. Oh. Yeah. Which is. Why does it look like a cartoon? I don't know. Well, because probably because the VFX house took over, <laughs> but it, but that's interesting because the first specific room is shot at um, one eight five to one, right? Which is mm. like the same as Jurassic Park to emphasize the scale and the height. And then Pacific Rim two shot anamorphic, yeah, which isn't good for filming big things. And, and like Godzilla twenty fourteen, really nothing felt really big. Godzilla yeah. twenty fourteen is the rare film that shot anamorphic that like you feel yeah. scale. Although King of Monsters also is, and I think that doesn't do scale no, nearly no, as that, well. That's, but that's because the CG is so over the top. Yeah, you can't believe what's going on because of. This I don't think it's the CG. I actually think the characters are so rushed and so fuck, forced. Everything is wrong with that film. Oh, man, it's a bad film. Only dumb people like that film. I'm gonna say it. If you like uh, King of the Monsters, you just want to see Godzilla fighting other monsters. You don't care about story or on or, or any like other stuff. Because yeah. I've heard the argument of. Eva, you don't need a story. And it's like, well, what? Then why Who is this? that? That's like, stupid. I love people online and people I met. And I'm like, if you don't need a story, just watch this. Just, just watch porn. Just watch a 10 minute. Seriously. I watch porn with story. I'm sorry. <laughs> but if you just, just, it is, just though. see the, the 20 minutes of action, and that's no, it. No, this is what Steven Soderbergh said years ago when he was on a plane. He, he sat next to this bloody kid that was, he was like, tw- not even a kid, like an adult who, like, had all these films on his iPad and Soderbergh watched him and he was he just had like the rock and Armageddon and all these things and he was just skipping to the action scenes and Soderbergh's like, so on this four hour flight, you're getting nothing but this action porn coming right at you and it's like, what the fuck have, are you trying to get out of this? Have you heard it's just that, a video game have, at that Have point. you heard uh, David Lynch? I've what? played video games with story. Hell. Have you seen David Lynch um, uh, do... Uh, He's talk about if you think phones. you can watch a movie on your <laughs> fucking phone, he's so good. Did you see him go off at that first AD on the Twin Peaks yes. set? Who who cares if it's going? Who for gives too a long? shit about who how long a, a scene how is? Long he's it. Fucking hell! Fuck now! Same fight every day, and, and about how like, like his, I feel like his days like his days got cut. Like he was like, why do we only have two days? God, I'm really sick of this. We never get time to be creative. We never get time to experiment. Fuck! I'll never do it this way again. Never again. And I'm like. This guy meditates and does like peyote ceremonies all the time. And it he's doesn't, the angriest he's guy. He's so angry. He's, like I've watched Kubrick on set and he looks more relaxed. He's, he's, but he's also one of the greatest filmmakers. Yeah, 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 he is. Definitely one of the most influential. Without question. He is one of the greatest filmmakers. Um, yeah, uh, so, so they escape, they get shot down, land on the planet. Um, something I have criticised in the past is the fact that Poe and Finn are separated 
and then um, it, it, it seems like Poe sort of fins sort you, of leaves him for death. You said that Poe suddenly disappears from the film. Yes. And during this viewing, you kind of remembered. Uh, Poe still disappears from the film, and it's never explained like how. But I don't really care about that. The thing Whoever I used escapes. to, what I used to think happened was that Finn fell from the ship or like got like lost away from the ship. When he got to the ship, he found Poe's jacket. The ship sunk and blew up. What I realize is that, of course, Poe, a Finn is in an ejector seat. So it's totally plausible why he's so far from the ship. He's how Poe would like have recovered. Away. Yeah, yeah. It's totally plausible that Poe that Poe wouldn't have been able to find him. Would have left and found a ship. Would have left his jacket, and um, Finn gets there and gets the jacket, and the ship explodes. Like it's fine. It, it, it's a thing I used to think was a problem, and now I realize it's not a problem. And we're going to talk about something with Ray that everyone thinks is a problem that is now not a problem because of we'll a line. Get to it. We'll get to further. it. I did like Ray's introduction. Yeah, of her I going like the, and scavenging like, inside the star yeah, destroyer. I like the mask. I like the. I like the the, the, the Star Destroyer inside. It's like, pretty it interesting really that good. like the first Disney film starts with a scene of a character salvaging what they can from the original trilogy. You're telling me this woman is meta? meta? It's pretty meta. It's pretty meta. It's pretty meta that, I know she, steal, that. she steals pieces from a piece of the original trilogy. Yeah. Do you think that to was make, intentional? To make immense profit. Yeah, and, and, then, and then she gets out of the Star Destroyer and, and she has to go down like this hill. How, how does she get up? That hill. She's got like a little piece well, what, of metal. What, she slides what, down. What, what, what a plot hole. Oh, Jesus Christ. Go, you how know what she did? Go I'll answer that. that. I'll answer that. She goes up the Star Destroyer, which ascends up the hill. Like it's... Jesus but her speed wasn't that side. It doesn't make any sense. Um, that is something that but, some people would verbalize. Yeah, no. It's can, can we just talk about something? People, there is a difference between something that like affects the story and the themes and the characters and the intention of the artist's vision. That stuff is important. That is what traditionally a plot hole can be called. The lights flickering at the start with the stormtroopers? Yes. That is... It's a problem, you could say, but it doesn't affect anything. It doesn't affect anything. It doesn't affect the story. It affects the visibility of the scene. It affects the tension of the film. Yeah. Right? And... You have to write a line when you're making a film on how much you want to like keep exactly it, like as um, there is one way factual. stupider than that Ray bit that I want to point out in Jurassic Park that you mm. have, you know everyone knows yeah the T Rex climbs up onto in front of the two trucks as the first scene of the T Rex is revealed smashes through the fence then it goes to push the trucks over the edge and suddenly there's this giant drop off yeah. how did that get there. It doesn't matter. Nobody cares because you're watching this. In- you're watching the greatest scene of you're all time. Watching the most exciting sequence ever. It doesn't matter. So much of this stuff that people complain about in these movies just doesn't matter. Yeah. The stuff that matters is the way that the characters are treated. So, like the thing with Finn, just on the shooting his friend stormtroopers. That is a problem. That is a problem. Yes, I'll admit that. That's actually a problem. It's, it's not even a problem. It's just a missed opportunity. And those are the things that really upset me. Maybe he hit all of them. Yeah, all like, oh, of those guys fucking bullied me. Imagine they were all yelling, "Traitor, traitor, traitor, traitor!" Um, oh, we need to make that edit now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, every single time. But you've seen the edit where it's like closing the gap from Battlefront, and every single line he says is like one of the Battlefront troopers' lines, and he just like runs at him, and every line's like closing the gap. It's so good. But um, uh, you, you, yeah, the biggest thing that always upsets me when I watch a movie more than anything else is a missed opportunity. Because my screenwriter brain can't switch off, my director brain can't switch off, my even my acting brain, I'm like, the performances, I'm thinking about all this stuff all the time. And 
the best movie for me is a movie where it goes in a direction I didn't expect and it seizes an opportunity and it's so clever about that opportunity and it, it, it just, you embrace that the movie is taking you places and what missed opportunities do is they make you start outthinking the movie. And we just saw Knives Out, which I think is a movie that does a pretty good job for most part of trying to outthink the audience, but then there's also some missed opportunities. Yeah. For V Ferrari, you and I both agreed there was missed opportunities with the way that that film was mm. presented. Mm. Even with what they had, just with the editing of that film. I'm a lot more... That's the biggest thing, I think, that affects me with movies, is seeing things that could be great and aren't. I'll, I'll say what affects me... This sounds a bit weird, but as soon as I start getting bored in a film, yeah, 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 which is when the film when a film loses me because something is it's things on it are like uh, really yeah dumb or like generic really boring or yeah. generic. I start. You don't mean when a movie I makes you feel relaxed. Pick, that's different. I start nitpicking a film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When I see a film that I can just watch, yeah, that's that's when I'm like, yeah, I'm liking this. Yeah, because like, I'd argue the board of Ferrari. Yeah, I can just watch it. It's just yeah, I can. It's fun. I'd argue that there's a difference in a movie between being bored and being relaxed. Like there's there's great bits in like The Irishman where you're very relaxed and you're just going with these characters in a car. And it well, it's not a boring film. That's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not like it's a difference. It's, like something it's a boring. It's a film. Something boring is like Godzilla King versus Monsters because it's just like Jeez, fucking so fucking mindless like, action the whole movie. It's like what are we watching? Yeah, and then, and then you start it's listening boring. to the dialogue and what they're actually saying is like it's well, so stupid it's like so stupid. why am I it's watching like, this why did I spend $20 and waste it's, two hours it went slipping there <laughs> let them fight we had one good sequence in the whole film which is what when he wakes up and they play the classic music dun 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 oh that's true and he's like Gabe. Suits the fire into this guy. Gabe, if either of us ever have the opportunity, to what? let's make Godzilla the bad guy again. Godzilla should be the bad guy. Like, I watched a bit of Shin Gojira, which I still want to watch the full thing with you. Like, he should be terrifying. He's he should be terrifying. He film. should be, like, he should literally be the scariest thing ever. Um. Anyway, Force Awakens. Um. Sorry, what you were saying when it bores you, when that's what when takes it, you out. Yeah, when a movie bores me, that's what takes me out. When it doesn't engage and you I, on I, any I was, level. Instantly bored in The Last Jedi. Really? Instantly. I know. I remember the moment that yeah, it happened to yeah, me. Yeah, you know, I remember this too. Feeling that way. I so the. F- I don't want to get too much into Let's it. Let's get into it next movie. Let's just keep going on TFA. But like, I, that was my thing with Last it's, Jedi. It's the I Hux, was, the Hux was, poke call, right? No, no, no. I was there. Oh, yeah, no, yes. The Hux poke call. That's right, yeah. I forgot about that one. Yeah. Anyways, uh, as soon as The I only was, shot, honestly, for me, was a bit of one. But I've got to say... You, we'll get to it. We'll get to it, but like the last year I watched the movie that made me realise that thing about me. Sure. If I'm bored with a film, I'll start look nitpicking the film. And then a film like Jurassic World, yes. the first time I saw it, I was so entertained and, and taken by nostalgia. Yeah. I completely ignore all the problems with it. I was similar, yeah. And I was like, I, I kept, for so long I kept saying it was a good movie. Which is the ability of a good filmmaker, let's be clear. That, that is a really important thing a filmmaker needs to be able to do is to make the... Like, there are always going to be mistakes in your film, no matter how good you are. There is so many flaws in some of the greatest films ever made. Citizen Kane has dinosaurs flying through the back of it in one shot. For real, look that up. Um, except... Um, that makes the film better, except in Kubrick. my opinion. Yeah, there's mistakes in Kubrick films. There's no, there's no mistakes in 2001. <laughs> 
he accidentally put in this nature documentary at the start of it. Yeah, I know. He accidentally... They were doing the final print of the film and fucking Attenborough left this Africa documentary in. So what they ended up doing was just putting under some ambient noise. You know, the ending was meant to be really straightforward, but they accidentally, like, uh, dropped paint on the film. And they're in the shape of a baby! And like, and like all that sequence when they're going through space, like all different colors. Like, what happened? What? <laughs> what happened? <laughs> they, what they, they put, they accidentally negatively exposed the image. So there were all yeah. these weird. And then all of a sudden they had this like old man from like an Ingmar Bergman so film. The, that that, that there. was something they had to like film they really to, quickly. Yeah, they had to because fix it. Because they didn't have time. Like, yeah, exactly. how did we end this film? They just fuck it up. You know what is true though, about 2001? What? There was originally voiceover. The oh, film. thank God. Because, oh my God, can you imagine? Also, there's an original score for 2001. You know that, right? Have no, you yeah, got... yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and then they decided to use the Blue Danube, which is like a genius decision. Um, mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah. yeah. But mistakes in the film. Of course. And the filmmaker making the movie. Everyone except Kubrick has mistakes. Yes. Um, to be fair, Kubrick got nothing about the year 2001, right? So he's obviously a hack idiot about, who has no, no idea what he's doing. Yes, I know. Moron. Right. There was no scene where one of the space shuttles flew into the Twin Towers. <laughs> oh. Oh. I'll see myself just, out. Just leave already. That's, that's my kind of joke. How come I didn't come up with it? Shit. Um, yeah, talking about a film that has amazing effects that are mostly practical, for when they can be practical, um, The Force Awakens. Yes. Practical effects. Great bread effects. Yeah, this is the bread. The bread. <laughs> I love that. I love that whole race story in the beginning. The ra- I yeah, love, the, I love the ra- It's beginning. silent up until she meets BB-8. The first lines it says is in an alien language. Yeah, it's it's cool. It's yeah, pretty yeah. cool. But like, I I like the whole bit of um, which also explains Harris. partly why she can speak Wookie because she's probably had to deal with all these different traders, all these different smugglers, all these people who come to this shitty town to sell their merch. She it makes this sense that she is versatile in alien languages. How old is she? Uh, I'd say like. 20? Well, it's Star Wars years, so it's, it's you don't know, but like... Let's say Star Wars years is the same as ours. Sure. I, I'd say she's like 22, 23. 22, 23. She spent... Uh, More than 15, 15 years 15, 16 years yeah. through... Fending for herself. Fending for herself in spaceships, in all this... Uh, in the desert. In the desert. Meeting all these aliens. Yep. It makes sense why she could... You know, defend herself. herself. Absolutely. Uh, she understands technology yep. and, like, you know, uh, imperial technology. Uh, absolutely. And she knows how to rewire knows... circuitry. She knows how to take apart ships. And something else that's gonna, we're going to tell later. Absolutely. That so makes the, sense in the film. The three big complaints about Ray. Yeah. And you and I have argued about the thing about the Mary Sue and all this shit. I, I, I really don't have time for it in my mind. I, I think it's stupid. I think each character is different. I think even when you're doing a hero... Everybody does, even the best of screenwriters, have a, um, an, a self-insert character. Everybody has Yeah, that. my latest script is by the guy that plays video games all day. <laughs> Jesus, wonder where you got that from. Um, yeah, everyone does a self-insert character. Every filmmaker has a self-insert character. James Cameron has one in Jack in Titanic. Like, that's his self-insert character. Christopher Nolan, Cobb, is his self-insert character in Inception. Like, the, all writers do this. I don't Wait, think... did Christopher Nolan actually only kill his wife? <laughs> have you seen that video where it's like all of Christopher Nolan's dead wives and then it's like Good Morning America where they're like and of course you're joined here with your lovely wife Emma and then a voice just says run and you know what's interesting all the dead wives they're all brunettes which Emma is it's very weird well, who's Emma? his wife who produces his films with him oh. you know the other thing about we'll, we'll talk about this when we do the um, Tenet 
podcast. Yeah, but we'll get to it. Christopher Nolan has a pretty weird history. We'll get to it. Um, yeah, so, um, but with Ray, the big complaints that people bring up is that she's a Mary Sue, which is a self-insert character for the writer, um, that she... Is, she's super good at flying the Falcon, even though she's never flown it before. Um, and the ship hasn't flown in years. Um, that she's too good with the Force, um, and that she is way too powerful. Which is more of a well, problem with Jedi. So to go to the uh, more specific things... Yes. She is too... She knows how to speak language, uh, a lot of alien languages. She knows how to speak Wookiee. She is too good at using the lightsaber. Yep, she beats Kylo. She beats Kylo. She um she lo- she flies the Millennium Falcon too good. She corrects Han Solo on how to fly the on how to use the Falcon. Yeah, we'll get to yeah, that. Yeah, we'll get to that. Um, what are some others? I'm I'm just being the voice of nerd idiots at the moment. Yeah, so yeah, like, yeah. She she shouldn't be better than Han at knowing how to fix the Falcon, and uh, she can't beat Kylo. He's a Sith Lord. He's been training, and and yeah, yeah. That's the big complaints. Let's get into it. So Ray meets BB-8. They go to the town. Um, Finn wanders into the town. I love that the way they meet is that Finn is drinking from, you know, the swamp water kind of well. And uh, then the animal, the big kind of like rhino. Yeah, um, it's like the big pig. Big pig, like yeah, pig. he's so good. It looks like the pig from whoever's played uh, Bloodborne. There's from some Bloodborne. Bloodborne? Yeah, oh, yeah, Bloodborne pig that you fight and he looks just like that. It's such a good... I, I don't think it's practical. I think it's, it's... it's a completely practical puppet. What, even there? I don't think the long shot was... The point is, he gets knocked over by this thing, which makes him face Ray, and that's how he sees yeah, her. Yeah, this is my favorite writing piece in the whole film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is that um, yeah, he gets knocked out, knocked out to see Ray, who's fighting the Uncut Plots henchmen, who is fighting them because Uncut Plots wants BB-8, BB-8, and that was set up earlier. Yeah, in the film. Yeah, right. And then he runs. He gets close closer to her because he wants to help her because he's a rightful guy. Yeah. Uh, but then you, we see Ray is able to defend herself. Yeah. And he's like, oh, all right. I guess I don't have to go there anymore. So he kind of stops. BB-8 sees him with a jacket on. Yeah, which is Poe's jacket. Which is Poe's jacket, which makes BB-8 tell Ray to go to with him. Because he sold his jacket. So it's all like this, all these different things are happening because of things that have been set up already. Yeah, yeah, it's great. Which is how they wrote and it's like, um, it's but and uh, however, therefore and but, therefore and but. Yeah, it's great. Like that's how that's how that sequence is written. As I'll keep saying, the first forty minutes of this movie is incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Then, of course, the first order spots them, and one of the details I love is that in Tatooine on uh, Star Wars, the um, and this is partly because of budget, of course, but. The the um the Empire is like doing checkpoints. They're going door to door. They're knocking on doors. They're checking people's IDs. Like they're, they're sort of treating it. They're kind of like city cops, right? Like they're like a an occupying force. They they're, they're like the Nazis occupying um you know um Africa. They're basically taking over this town. They're checking everyone. They're trying to keep the peace. I love that the First Order in this scene just starts firing. They like don't care who they kill. Yeah, it actually something. makes them feel like a threat. It's really effective. I think Last Jedi, we'll get to it, but undermines a lot of that. Yeah. Um, I really, really like this scene. And this scene is really exciting. And, and it's great. People complain about... The whole is real. The, yeah, the, whole, the entire town is real. Yeah, they built this town. Crazy. And then blew it up. Blew a it lot. Up. Um, I love that uh, Finn grabs her hand, she complains about it, and then the arc is, through the chase... They're getting blown around, and then the TIE fighters come in and do the uh, the aerial bombardment. He gets blown onto the ground, and she goes, gives him her hand, 
No, no, no. Before that happens, yeah, yeah, yeah. he goes to him and he instantly says, are you all right? Yes, that's right. And that's the first time that we see uh, Ray get, you know, someone caring about her. That's true, yeah. That's why I like this moment so much. Yep. The aliens she met earlier were like, oh, stop looking around and start working. Exactly. The big guy's like, half a quarter of a portion. The but big guy played be, by the skinniest uh, actor in Hollywood. Yes. But it used to be... Simon Pegg. Simon Pegg. But it used to be half yesterday. Well, it's a quarter today, right? It's kind of like everyone treats her like shit, right? This show and is worth Finn, one half portion. And Finn is the only one that actually... Cares about her. Cares about her. Yeah. And then he because offers... He because he wants she to, offers him, you know, he wants to yeah, bathe yeah, in, he wants to bathe in her ray of sunshine. Yes, of um, course. Yeah, so do I, <laughs> man. He's just like Luke in the first film. Like, yeah, Luke goes for Leia because beautiful woman got to save her. Are they gonna be twins? And he tries to save her and doesn't need to. Um, and then he she, offers. She offers him a hand. Yeah, which like, is great. Oh. It's just a beautiful small character. And arc. this is what JJ does on his directing. Well, he doesn't do it with Finn and Poe, and that's where I wish there was more. But no, this is what he does in other films. This is the kind yeah, of directing Yeah, 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 absolutely. This is the kind of directing he brings. He might not make... He's Spielberg light. Yeah. Yeah, he's able to direct action in a way that is incredibly visually engaging, and also, almost always, I think Super 8 has some bad scenes, but almost always is motivated by the characters making physical action decisions. Like, yeah. one of the best comparisons I've ever seen of the difference of style between J.J. and Lucas is the way that um, the characters in Lucas's films rush to tell in, somebody information. Like the in, scene with um, Anakin going to tell Mace Windu that Palpatine is a Sith Lord. Yeah. And then you compare that with Star Trek 2009 when Kirk's about to alert the fleet that they're going into a trap yeah. and he is sprinting down hallways and he's climbing and then, and, up and ladders and, and he's got a thing. so many people in the way so many people in the way there's lights there's and smoke like, like dun 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 yeah it's great like it like it, it, it is a style of filmmaking that is very Hollywood and has been made very popular because of Spielberg but JJ pulls it off as close as anyone ever has to the greatest living director yeah. so that's pretty nuts like I say, this Spielberg. This is why great, I like JJ. Look, I say Spielberg's the greatest living director. Obviously, for I yeah, exactly. Like I, I think as a craftsman, he is impeccable. I think as a storyteller, he has a lot to be desired. In terms of craft, there is nobody working today who has the resources, the pa the passion for what he does, mm. and the just just the instinct for how to place camera and block actors quite like Spielberg. Mm. Like. I love so many directors working today. Jeff Nichols, um, Xavier Dolan, who are incredible directors of performance. But Spielberg is just unreal. I just want everyone to know that I don't think Spielberg is my personal favourite director. I think he's yeah. one of the greatest technical directors ever. Yeah. Um, JJ is the closest to that, I think, working today in Hollywood. Truly. Mm. It's the one reason I, I, I'm I, kind of still excited to see Rise of Skywalker. Yeah, absolutely. It's just to see JJ's seen this movie, I wasn't asked you at the end of the podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, am I more excited? I'll, I'll ask you about the... Um, Here's the thing. I'm really excited because I've just watched Force Awakens. But then we've got to watch Last Jedi. That's the thing is that after watching this, I'm like, oh, what a fun movie. Oh, man, I really hope it doesn't suck. Mate, look at all these things they set up for oh the next God. movie. Hope they all get paid off well. Anyways, let's keep going. Yeah. This is going for pretty long. Oh, yeah, yeah totally. Yeah. Um, but then the best joke of the whole film comes where they're running towards um, the, uh, the, land, the speeder, like the... What, it's, 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 it's a ship it's a ship yeah and Ray says um, and, and, and as they're running there's these explosions going off behind them which before Spectre I believe set the record for the most explosions detonated on one day of filming 
Spectre beat the record back in, you know, 20... No, it's 2015 as well. Spectre? Uh, yeah. Spectre did not come out in 2015. 2015. 2016. I'm double-checking this right now. That's not right. Oh, my Lord. I am right. That's ludicrous. Yep. Wow. One of those films is not aged like the other. So, now comes the time where, unfortunately, due to issues we're having with our platform, we have to end the episode halfway. Yeah, and then release part two for some reason. I wish I could Yay. say it was for ad revenue. It's not. It's a technical issue. But please, if you're enjoying part one, come back and listen to part two of our Force Awakens podcast. Yes. Thanks for listening. Bye.